Hello and welcome to Metaphors of EdTech, a podcast by me, Martin Weller. In this podcast, I talk about metaphors of educational technology. There's an accompanying book published by Athabasca University Press, which you can check out. It's free to download or you can buy the print copy. And in each episode notes, I'll put links to interesting articles or things that are relevant. So check those out. Now, on with the episode. episode I'm going to look at just one type of metaphor which are music metaphors which I look at in the book also. Uh, the first of these is from a good friend of mine, well, I think he would classify himself as such, uh, Jim Groom who came up with the idea of edupunk. Um, it was really kind of Jim recounts a story just sort of, of riffing off an idea I think he had in a conversation with uh, Brian Lamb and others and Jim's kind of big advocate of the open web and exploring the possibilities and not being linked into corporations and stuff. And, and in a blog post, um, Jim was lamenting, saying, corporations are sending us back our ideas, innovations and visions for an exorbitant price. I want them all back and I want them now. And he used this term, uh, edupunk, to sort of describe taking control of your own uh, tools and mixing them together, things like blogs, wikis, those kind of things. Um, it was defined, uh, edupunk was defined in wide, I think, as avoiding mainstream teaching tools like PowerPoint and Blackboard. Edupunks bring the rebellious attitude and DIY ethos of 70s bands like The Clash to the classroom. Um, so just so punk music in the 70s was really kind of seen as a reaction to this kind of to what they, people saw as bloated corporate music that was kind of irrelevant to lots of people living in quite in you know, quite poor conditions in um in UK at the time. And also had this kind of DIY attitude to it, you know, you just pick up a guitar and get going, this sort of sense that anyone can do it. And I think it was this removal of barriers that um the web facilitated that appealed to people like Jim. Um, you know, talking about Edupunk later, he said it was quite a simple idea. The idea was to take back this these online spaces where teaching and learning happens from the dreary fluorescent lighted discussion boards of the learning management system. You know, you didn't see any inspiration, those kind of things. So the idea was to kind of use these blogs, lightweight tools, you know, reclaim ownership of, of our online spaces and our online teaching. Uh, and you know, it was a very attractive idea, and in many ways it became a kind of runaway metaphor that you couldn't control anymore. Um, and it became used in many different ways, which I think um, original proponents hadn't really anticipated. So it was taken up, for instance, by a lot of the people who were in the kind of school yourself, overthrow the ed- formal education system crowd. With, and some of those people then sort of might align with some of the talk I was looking at earlier in a previous episode about Uber for education and those kind of models and unbundling education, um, which I don't think was the initial intention. Um, and I think there's also a, a whiff or more than a whiff of, of middle-aged men reliving their youth about the whole kind of edgy punk thing. And I think you know, I was probably one of those. And I think it's um, in many ways, even if there was a good idea at, at the core of it, which I think there was, um, if you didn't like punk, then the idea of edgy punk wasn't particularly appealing to you either. So, you know, you might skip over the whole discussion anyway because the you didn't like the the nature of the metaphor but i think it was a fun metaphor and it, it kind of demonstrated how a, a kind of fairly simple idea that just came out of a blog post could then sort of really really gain traction and have lots of generate quite a lot of content and discussion a, another um, 
music metaphor relating to education is that of the educator as DJ. And there's a few versions of this. The first one I came across was uh, by Scott Leslie. Um, and he was sort of arguing that in, in an age of kind of abundant content, we, all the stuff is available and free tools available, then you can think of the educator becoming more like a, a, a DJ, a disc jockey. And he sort of proposed six activities that such a, a DJ type educator would undertake. The first was search, you know, just in the same way that a, a good DJ knows where to go and find many different records and samples and bits of music and track them down. And they know, how, you know, that requires a lot of expertise to know how to come across these things. Similarly, an educator knows where, you know, the good resources to go for, the good search terms to look for, uh, the good repositories to, to root around in or have the networks to find stuff. Second action was that of sample. So, uh, you know, DJs will often sample, you know, a drum beat or something, your vocal to mix together. And similarly, an educator might sample a bit of a, a, an open educational resource or a bit of a video to put into something else. Which brings us on to the third one, which is sequence, like putting all these things into a, into an order to make a, a, a unique sound for the DJ or a unique learning experience for the educator. She might combine many different resources together. Uh, record it, so, you know, um, record a performance uh, or, or record a, a sequence of artifacts that can be shared around. Uh, perform it, so uh, um, Scott was arguing this, this stuff could be supplemented by, you know, uh, Zoom talks, those kind of things, you know, an actual performance that relates, a teaching performance that relates to the content. Uh, and lastly, share it, share in an open practice uh, manner. So I think that, that, that again, this is quite a, a powerful idea, I think. And I think it goes back to how when uh, sort of in the mid 2000s, when content started becoming really free and YouTube was, was new and uh, the OER movement was up and going, we really began to think about this whole idea of do we need to generate content ourselves so much? And I use the phrase of a pedagogy of abundance to describe how you might pull these things together. And uh, I know Dave Cormier has taken that idea and, and sort of really explored it and gone a lot further with it. And I really don't think that we've really come back to that or really acknowledged that. And I think a lot in education side of what does it mean to have abundant content? How does that change the role of the educator? Uh, Terry Green, uh, who's a big hip hop fan, um, Took a similar idea to the educator DJ, the educator as DJ, and sort of tried to think about the what are commonly referred to as the five pillars of hip hop. You know, sort of five elements of hip hop that um, that are all combined and all important. And he says, you know, these relate also to open education. So there's uh, rapping um, in hip hop, and he, he says that's similar to Scott's idea of performing. You know, giving presentations, uh, giving lectures, running workshops, those kind of things. You know. Um, DJ in turntablism um, in hip hop. Uh, he said this is similar to educational technologists who sort of you know take technology and, and reuse it for different purposes. So maybe that's more akin to that kind of edgy punk thing we were looking at earlier. Um, break dancing or b boying uh, in hip hop is where people would perform dance moves and then people would stand around and watch them and then copy them and adapt them and change them um, and Terry argues this sort of suggests this willingness to share techniques and encourage each other as part of the open practice of, of educators. Uh, graffiti is um, another pillars of hip hop, and Terry uh, argues you know there's a 
resonance here with openly licensed imagery, like people sharing photographs that then could be used differently, or people like Brian Mathers, who's got a remixer machine where you can take some of these designs and, and change elements of it and share it under an open license. And the last uh, pillar of hip hop is knowledge of the sector and knowledge of, of hip hop and, and its social role. And Terry argues similarly, there's knowledge of the, the sector and open connections and how that allows us to function and, and build more effectively. Uh, the last um, educator's DJ version is one of my own. Um, and I think uh, here I take the idea of the, the radio DJ much more, you know, when you listen to uh, music shows on the radio and there's a DJ playing songs. And I think it's interesting here, this sort of goes back a bit to Scott's idea around you know, abundance. What does that mean? So if you think about it now, we have music service such as Spotify, you know, Apple Music, so a listener can get any access to almost any music they want just with a quick search and click of a button and they can listen to it whenever they want uh, they will also receive personalized playlists recommendations tailored to them um, you know suggestions for new music to follow you can follow other people and see what they listen to so you think about it certainly when i was growing up the only way you could hear new music was via a radio show or maybe a tv program so the days when you could you had to rely on the radio to hear music or hear new music have long gone really so you might think of well perhaps you know, radio listening audiences would decline but that's far from the case actually they've been on the steadily on the increase so we might ask ourselves why is that um and i i would suggest it's because although pe people like music you know if we're talking about music radio shows and that's an important part and then maybe they do discover new music that way what they really value is the human context the sort of wrap around it that the dj does the the dj sequences those records together but provides discussion and you know phone-ins or features or whatever you know so that's what they're really tuning in for and the music is part of that mix and i think that's uh, analogous to how um now we have abundant online content for teaching for learning you have youtube videos oer uh, podcasts and so on but people don't really want to necessarily be an autodidact and just go away and construct their own courses. They still want to have a human educator who provides context for all of that content and provides meaning for it and provides opportunities to have interaction with other people around that content. So it isn't just about the content. I think the last thing I'll say is just uh, in talking about music as a metaphor, I think it's a very attractive and appealing metaphor often, but I think it's also one where the metaphor itself is can often be quite overpowering and there's too much emphasis on the the source domain if you like which is the particular type of music and it's very kind of linked to personal choice and value and i think we saw that with the edgy punk in particular it was saying like the punk way is the good the cool way to do it and everything and if, if so if you didn't really like punk it was sort of saying your music choices aren't particularly good either and, and that, that kind of felt like a value judgment i know people didn't intend that but there was a kind of implicit message i think in it um but what i think it's interesting about some of the metaphors i've discovered is they all tend to emphasize the possibilities of operating in the open and with abundant content and remixing and resharing those kind of things so it's interesting how they've all sort of come to play around with that that metaphor so i think in general um i would advocate using music metaphors carefully because i think as I say they can put people off but also they can be a lot of fun so uh find the music metaphor that pleases you.
Thanks for listening to Metaphors of EdTech. Remember to subscribe if this is your bag. Uh, and also check the episode notes for any useful links and fun things there. Thank you.